0: I love that Donna calls us lovely ones every time she gets up here. And I also love what I, I also love watching all the little kids kind of funnel out. It's just so cool to see the little kids around and then they come upstairs afterwards and run around here and make all kinds of noise. That's, that's a blessing as well. so um, some may not feel that's a blessing, but I like it. <laughs> uh, I want to tell you that you guys uh, were a part of something that I need to thank you for. You may not know that you were a part of it, but you helped to send me to Montana last week. And um, Kim and I went to, it was uh, It was a good time, um, just a really good time. Uh, there's a guy that and his wife that are YWAM missionaries that have been all around the world, but they came back and in their retirement years they decided to buy a property in Montana to make it a blessing for pastors and leaders of churches and things like that. And so uh, he made room for Kim and I to come, and we were the only ones there other than he and his wife. And anytime you can stick me out in the woods in a cabin or in a campsite or backpacking, uh, I am my happiest. And especially in a place where there's grizzly bears, moose, elk, pronghorn deer, mountain lions. This guy has seen eight mountain lions on his property. And by the way, this is the same property that they wrote... uh, what is the, the River Runs Through It on, Uh, this is, it's just out there, just 40 acres next to National Forest, it's just beautiful, so we hiked around and had a really good time, so thank you for doing that. Anyway, um, let me read from Jeremiah 38, 1 through 6. And if you want to open your pew Bibles, it's on page 546. Uh, I'll give you just a second to get there. But we've been in this series of Jeremiah for a few weeks now. Three, four. This is the fourth week. I think we're going five. Um, but Jeremiah 38, verses 1 through 6. Now, forgive me. Uh, from the rest, for the rest of this sermon, I'm going to call these first guy, four guys that they mention in the first first uh, verse here the gang of four because I don't want to say their names twice. Yeah, and, and you'll see why when I start to read. I'm not sure if I'm even saying them right, but Shephatiah son of Matan, Gedaliah son of Pashur, Jehucal son of Shelemiah, and Pashur son of Malkijah. Heard what Jeremiah was telling all the people when he said, and this is Jeremiah speaking, right? Jeremiah speaking the words of God to to Judah. He says, "This is what the Lord says: Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, <laughs> famine, or plague." Wonderful message, just so uplifting, right? But whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. Now, I want to I want to clarify there: Whoever goes over to the Babylonians does not mean Uh, assimilates into Babylonian culture and gives up their, their Jewish life, but it means surrender. Just surrender yourselves, live as a Jew under the Babylonian rule, right? So whoever, and you're going to understand why I clarify that in a minute. But whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live, they will escape with their lives, they will live. And this is what the Lord says. This city will certainly be given into the hands of the army of the king of Babylon, who will capture it. Then the officials, these four guys, the gang of four, said to the king, "This man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city." Now, when you hear that, you got to realize that a lot of the soldiers have been killed already, right? As well as the people by the things that he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good, and that word is shalom or the peace, right, of these people, but their ruin or their destruction, right? Verse 5. He is in your hands. So it's the king speaking now. He is in your hands. King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So the king's just saying, do whatever you want. I don't care anymore. That's what he's saying. So they took Jeremiah and they put him into a cistern. Now, I'm not, you know, some people wouldn't, may not know what that word is, but it's a, just a big underground tank, like maybe 15 deep, feet deep or maybe even deeper, for water storage. And there's usually a little little hole at the top. You know a person could fit through. But then it kind of opens up into this giant chamber. Alright. So that's what a cistern is. So they put him into the cistern of Malkijah. The king's son. Which was in the courtyard of the guard. And they lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it. Only mud. So it's dried up. Right. And Jeremiah sank down into the mud got the picture all right let me pray for us father we thank you for this morning and we th- we thank you especially that, that it it seems just so strange that old stories from your scriptures speak to our life right now in 2021 that, that we can go back to a, a guy by the name of Jeremiah, we can go back to these guys, other guys with strange names, to a king way back then and all the stories surrounding this, and it speaks to our situation where we stand in this historical moment. And so we ask that you would you would break it open for us, break open your word for us. Help us to understand exactly what you are saying to each and every person in this room, including myself today, that you would speak clearly and loudly through your word to us and that your Holy Spirit would assimilate it and apply it to our lives. And we thank you for all this and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, when bad news is good news, it needs to be heated now what does heated mean heated means to listen to it to hear it to think that it's important and to pay attention to it and and to do something with the news right so when bad news is good news it needs to be heated that's my my proposition to you this morning and and what what in other words what feels like destruction sometimes in life may actually be for God's healing What feels like destruction may actually be for God's healing. So are we open to God destroying the things in us, or the things around us maybe, to make way for His healing in life? Are we open to correction from the Lord? Do we allow Him to correct us? Are we willing to experience the consequences of our own sin or even our corporate sin? in order to experience God's redemptive healing in life? Good questions. those are the questions we wrestle with today. Now, I want you to think about Jeremiah's scenario. Uh, We've talked about him over the last few weeks. And, you know, he was young. um, He didn't want this calling, but he's got it, right? Think of if you're him. You know, it's not your enemies that are sort of personally attacking you, but it's your own people, right? You're stuck in a well, (laughs) They've thrown you in a well to die. You've sunk knee deep in mud. mud, And it's your faithful proclamation of God's truth or God's word that has led you to that point. Isn't it time to give up? (laughs) Hasn't God lost the war? Hasn't God lost the cultural war? And therefore you should just quit or die. Let me set the scene for us. The Babylonians were on siege against Jerusalem. And, and it's not looking good at all. you know. And Jeremiah is preaching this surrender or die kind of a message. Not because the Babylonians were so strong. But he was proclaiming that God had brought this about that this was God's doing as a consequence of Israel's stubborn sort of refusal to repent from their own sin from all their sinful ways and to understand why Jeremiah's message uh, uh, his words made people so angry it helps to understand how desperate the situation the situation was in Jerusalem the city was under siege by this time for a few years And the most powerful military force in all of the world, the Babylonian army at that that point, is camped outside of its walls and it is cutting off all supplies and all the bread rations are low and we can see that the waters run out. Cisterns are, are bare. There's only brackish mud left in the cisterns. And very likely the Babylonians had started to attack the city walls uh, trying to unmer- undermine its towers or knock down its, its gates with battering rams and all that kind of stuff. The prophet Ezekiel offered this grim depiction. He said, outside is the sword, inside are plague and famine. Those in the country will die by the sword. So anybody outside the city walls is going to die by the sword. And those, uh, and those in the city will be devoured by famine and plague. So you're not going get to get away with your life. In other words, one way or another, the citizens were doomed. This is it. Now, so it's not hard to figure out why this gang of four uh, were so upset. These four guys. They were sort of patriots trying to defend their homeland, and Jeremiah was hurting the war effort by his sort of, you know, defeatist words, defeatist attitude. And when they heard what Jeremiah was preaching, they cried, treason, you treasonous man. And the question is, was their accusation true? So you listen again to the charge that they leveled against him. It says, this man is not seeking the good or the shalom, the peace of Israel, of Judah, right? Of of these people, but but their ruin, their destruction. So they think Jeremiah, they're saying that Jeremiah is just giving them over to the enemy. Now was that accusation true? Was Jeremiah a traitor to God's people or not? You know, was he seeking their ruin or was he seeking their good? That's the question. So now, news of divine judgment is never uh, good. It's always bad news, right? You know, it's, it's unpleasant to hear that God punishes sin rather than just overlooking it in our lives but the only thing which really matters is whether or not the bad news of divine judgment is true or not and when bad news is good news as i said before it needs to be listened to it needs to be heeded you know, we often struggle with the idea that sins have consequences in our lives. Because we've been forgiven in, in Christ, right? We've been Why should there be consequences to our sins anymore? Didn't Jesus pay for it all? But just like blueberries leave stains on a white shirt, right? Our sins leave their mark on our lives. We're not just free to do what we want. And although they don't cut us off, from God's saving grace, they do relationally alienate us from God, from ourselves, and sometimes from each other. And usually, when we have a secret sin life, all three of those those relationships are affected at the same time. They have implications in all areas of psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, career-wise, financially, all kinds of things. We all know someone, we could point at someone in, in, in the world who has lost a job, or a spouse, or an opportunity, or finance, or something due to sinful choices. And sometimes those consequences even come years down the road. There was a pastor of a megachurch who admitted to a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl in his former church when he was a youth pastor at 22 years old, which was 19 years before, and nothing had happened since then but it was found out and he admitted the wrong and he seemed contrite when he kind of gave his thing And but he diminished his guilt by saying it was consensual and eventually he lost his job for that. So sin does have consequences and Jeremiah takes the difficult position of proclaiming that truth to, to these people that don't want to hear it, right? And, and those consequences can serve for correction for those of us that are not responding to God's will very well. In a moment, they can be something that adjusts us. So let's think about our characters of this story. We have Jeremiah, obviously, he is faithfully fulfilling God's call in his life, right? He's speaking the words of God to people who need to hear them, but really don't want to hear them. You know, it's all an unwelcome message to them. And then we have the gang of four, right? You know, follow, you know, fellow Jews who um who seem to be, to have party to this whole sort of si- system of sinfulness of, of, of Judah and just want to go back to the way it was, right? Although that wasn't glorifying to God at all. And then we have King Zedekiah. He's an interesting character. He's obviously a defeated man. You know, he's sort of castrated in a sense. He's, he's not acting in a kingly manner anymore. He's the coward who bows to any pressure, Right? And then we know from extended reading that we have those who have defected over to Babylon. They've already like walked out of Jerusalem and gone to Babylon. They're totally giving up on their faith and their way of life. They are, in a sense, the fearful, You know, letting fear and circumstance dictate faith and belief. In other words, they've given themselves over to the culture of Babylon. They've, they're no longer considering themselves Jewish, they're assimilating. I think I think we're preaching to four different kinds of people today. Same four people. Last week Natalie asked whether we felt scattered or lost and stuck like everything's fallen apart. And maybe some of us aren't reading the signs well and we are seeking to defect over to Babylon, right? The words of the faithful around us, those who are still preaching God's truth, those who are still walking lockstep with Jesus, sound only like hopeless bigotry in our ears anymore. We want to give up. We want to give in. We want to compromise and we, we, and, and not be forced to have faith in a very dark situation. And I, I believe our culture is in a very dark situation. And our solution to bad news is Capitulation right to agree with the enemy <laughs> and to, to assimilate into a changing culture to give up give up on to that which god calls us a recent article uh, outlines a survey including more than 3,000 Americans between ages 18 and 55, which revealed that born-again Protestants experienced the greatest level of decline in Bible-based sort of beliefs from 2010 to 2020. And during that decade... The percentage of people who agreed with the core Christian doctrines fell from 47% to 25%. And when you go to the younger crowds, it is even worse in numbers. So, although people may label themselves as born again Christians, they still sort of can have like a a false view of Jesus and, and, and embrace a pluralistic worldview, not really a biblical worldview. It also said that among U.S. born again Christians between ages 18 and 39 more than 60% says that there, there's more than one way to salvation including Jesus, including Buddha and including Muhammad which by the way the Bible never teaches that. It also says that more than 30% say that Jesus sinned while he lived on earth or that they're not sure if he did which by the way is not what the Bible teaches. And what is this? This is what I've decided to really label as the progressive Christian. The progressive Christian. You're defecting to Babylon, right? Giving up on orthodoxy, led by fear, led by peer pressure, instead of the Word of God. Instead of the Scriptures. There's a great example of the progressive Christian mindset in the Smithsonian Uh, museum in washington dc and it's thomas jefferson's bible uh in in it there are large sections cut away of the new testament because enlightenment thinkers thought that the morality of jesus was wonderful at the time of thomas jefferson right they thought it was great but the academic world had turned against any kind of 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 mention of miracles and and things like the supernatural, and it was considered unfashionable and uneducated to believe in such things. So Jefferson literally cut out every supernatural passage in the New Testament so that he could have a Bible with with just Jesus' moral teachings in it. Now, where have we gone with that? Today, we cut out the moral passages as well, don't we? We just cut them away. And all we're left with is the concepts of justice and love. Which neither one work without all the rest of it. It just doesn't work. Maybe we're like King Zedekiah. Right? We've tuned out. We've grown weary. We've grown tired. We've, we've laid, laid down our responsibility. We've abdicated our rule. We've laid down our responsibility to and we're leading now out of fear of man or exhaustion, things like that. And for them, the solution to bad news is to crawl back into bed, to crawl back into our shell, right? To escape, somehow escape, maybe through addictive behavior or whatever. Walking in faith in dark times seems, for this kind of a person, just so overwhelming and tiring. There's no more courage in them. We've become the coward. We've become the coward. Maybe we're like the Gang of Four, trying desperately to guard the sort of the status quo, you know, to keep things as they were, not wanting to hear words of faith which speak of and bring about change that is absolutely necessary, you know, calling us to lean into the darkness, uh, you know. With, with faith even when it seems almost impossible to do so that the whole it's a hopeless situation see these guys wanted to hear that god would deliver them you know despite their sin and without the consequences that god had promised for their sin even though in facing them, in doing what God said, he was promising that they would be, he was still extending grace. That they would, they would, they would be taken over, but they would escape with their lives. They could rebuild later. So these guys opposing Jeremiah claimed to be most concerned about the people inside the walls of Jerusalem, about protecting them. But it's ironic that they should profess concern for the peace and welfare of these people when they actually were insisting on having them sacrificed. These I would call the pious Christians. Living a secret sin life, <clears throat> not wanting to admit that they have brought destruction on themselves by refusing to repent and not answering to God's call to do so. Or we could be like Jeremiah, <laughs> right? Stuck, I'm not sure we want to be like Jeremiah, by the way. <laughs> it wasn't a great story for him right now. Stuck in the mud at the bottom of a cistern at this dark place, right? He's looking up at only a circle of light above his head. After following God sort of faithfully through a lot of heartache, that's where he is. Now, who would blame Jeremiah for giving up right then? But he didn't, did he, right? Right? He, he, he continued to preach God's word even from his dark place and he, and he would actually see salvation later because they're going to pull him out of that cistern in a little while and he's going to continue his ministry. It was Jeremiah who most wanted to see the peace and the prosperity of his people, although his message sounded negative. You listen to that? Which are you today? Honestly, ask yourself, which are you today? Are you the progressive Christian giving up on orthodoxy out of fear, simply following feeling and and capitulating to culture? That's not the way to go. Are you the tired, worn-out Christian embracing cowardice in the face of difficulty? We've all felt that. Are you the pious Christian living a secret sin life, you know, not really wanting to admit that you've brought destruction on yourself by refusing to repent of something in your life? There's freedom when we do so. Or the Jeremiah, right? Showing courage in a dark time, knowing that when bad news is actually good, it needs to be heeded, even when it means enduring the consequences of our sin, or maybe even our corporate sin. Jeremiah's response to God's call on his life and this particular message he'd been given isn't what most of us would do, I don't think. One commentator said this, given the conflict of the world, given the sure promise of his call, one might expect a prophet could withdraw from combat in the world for communion with his god so escape right ever try to use jesus as a, right so withdraw from combat in the world for communion with his god but the neat consignment of combat to earth and communion to heaven does not hold here in other words this is all meshed in together so this frontline battle is you can't you can't get away from it wrestle out of this what we're in in right now you can't do it as a Christian but isn't that what we do when things get tough in relational ministry and in the ministry of a of being a believer in a world that it seems just to be going crazy we we, we, we end up spiritually navel gazing don't we right we lock ourselves away, recalling the fuzzy feel-good you know, passages and good things of faith, denying God's called us to the front lines of spiritual battle. He really has. We, we send memes from our Bible app, which we saw in our morning quiet time over coffee in a Danish. But we avoid opening our mouths wherever we may be, at school or at work or among friends or family, to proclaim God's truth to others when it it just seems so difficult. We don't want to do it. But just as Jeremiah encourages people to plant roots in their exile in chapter 29, which would have been very uncomfortable, by the way, to to leave your own culture, to your, leave your own language, and, and, and to come into a life of being a second-class citizen to another uh, people, his willingness to stick it out during that and to keep repeating unpopular news is indicative of a very deep faith in a God who can use suffering and difficulty in life for his good. Christians in Afghanistan face this more than we probably ever will right now. It'd be easy for them to capitulate, to deny Christ and to give in to the Taliban, to cower or hide or pack and run, and we wouldn't blame them if they did, or to fight for political rights and die in battle in vain. It'd be easy. But I ran across one Christian man who put out a video, an Afghani Christian still in Afghanistan, who put out a video describing their situation this week, and during it he said, we're not leaving the field. We will continue God's work. That's bravery. That's courage. That's putting yourself out there. We should be praying for them in the face of persecution and even death. And if you think it's not happening, more more Christians have been killed in this century than any other century before for their faith. A year ago in Beirut, Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon they experienced this huge explosion which devastated the city. You might remember that, right? Uh, and the lasting effects of that have been horrible. I was on a on a call with with uh people in beirut this week you know a zoom call with them and and they just described massive unemployment they they described 500 car uh lines your vehicle length lines for uh just for hours maybe even a whole day you have to wait in line just to get a liter or two of gas right six to twenty hours of no electricity and cut off uh, of internet, nothing you know, and, and when the electricity does come on, then the internet company loses their electricity, so you're totally cut off from communication in the world, So uh, all these black, more violence, uh, increased corruption, like crazy threats, you know, more and more and more, and all this kind of stuff, that's, that's what they're living under right now, by the way, I'm considering going there in November, amen, um, but we work with this one Christian mission, uh, which seeks to evangelize not only Lebanon, but the whole uh, MENA region, the Middle East and North Africa, and they've been very co- courageous and in a very bad situation. I was really grateful. I was so happy to hear that they've seen the good news root in more than 3,000 conversions from Islam to Christianity in just the recent months. I don't know. You don't know how amazing that is. I did Muslim ministry for nine years in a country. That is amazing. They've been very active in every part of aftercare, uh, helping people, some, some of which we do support, actually. And everything is to the end of sharing the salvation message of Jesus to those that are hurting. And that's why I like you know these organizations that we work with that hurt in these people have, has opened up a spiritual wound that was already there. It's all always been there, but they're now finding out that Jesus is the answer. Praise God that there are faithful, courageous Christians that are there to do the work. Well, even when they could cower, they could leave, they could give in to exhaustion, they could give up. Who would blame them? Instead, they've taken the Jeremiah path, haven't they? to see bad news as good, and to continue to proclaim his word to the masses who need it. And by the way, if you ever want to support them, I, I, come talk to me, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it how, how you can do that. But 6-8 uh, took on supporting two more people last week, so uh, we support four people in that, um, that region right now. But we stand, as a church, I think we stand with uh, with Christians throughout history in believing that to follow Jesus means upholding the Bible as the inspired Word of God in all situations, good and bad. Right? And that God has called us to His mission for His glory among all the people groups of the world. That is our mission. That is our vision. And that alone poses a serious and increasing problems in relationship with others in society today. Because many times Christians are the ones labeled as bearing the bad news to society. society. As if our message makes people say, Christians aren't seeking our good, they're seeking our ruin. A woman in the UK was arrested for street preaching on February 12, 2020, I think in London. She won the case in which she was charged uh, with hate speech, harassment, causing alarm, and provoking distress. Oh, poor people, right? Poor people, you distressed me. Tiring. But later she said this, she says, All I was doing was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I was arrested for it. There are dangers. I've had urine thrown at me, and I've been threatened. But Christians are called to preach the gospel of salvation and hope in any situation, no matter how tough, so I am not afraid. Despite all, despite this experience, I am determined to keep preaching. Since the pandemic began, I've seen more and more Christians taking to the streets of London to preach. Her story not unique. It's not unique. A recent article quoted filmmaker Michael Moore, you know the guy, where he called the Taliban religious nuts. And then he stated America has the same in comparing the Southern Baptists to the Taliban. He said, we're following dictates of conservative Christians. It's wrong there, and it's wrong here. Other media outlets are doing the same in comparing the pro-life movement with the policies of Taliban. All the while, in Afghanistan, people are being shot or hung. There's even one report of a guy being skinned alive. Before their Christian beliefs or just for working with the US government. But we're the bad guys. Jesus is here's the here's the problem Jesus is an exclusive message not that he wants to exclude people he wants to include everybody but he's an exclusive message in the sense that you have to come to him right it dictates that we have to turn away from our sin and turn towards him and he gets to define what sin is not us and not our culture and that's the message that gets us in trouble, although it's the best message out there for anybody in the world. It is just what it is. Now we know that these, these comparisons of culture to Christians are wrong and unfair, but we can't control the narrative. We're not going to be able to control it. People are going to believe what they want to believe. Our job is simply the job of Jeremiah to proclaim God's truth in the midst of it. No matter if it feels good or not. I was just telling somebody this morning, I had another pastor friend that in the 1970s, he said we could open the window and go like this and people would come to Jesus. They had 5,000 people just packed in their church. Since then, it's not been that way. He said now it's just very hard. It's just very hard. Now, if you're staying true to Christ and preaching the gospel and however you do that, right? Most likely you won't get murdered in America for that. Rather, somebody might simply not like you, (laughs) right? But for some of us, that's enough, you know? Our desire to be liked by people around us is stronger than our devotion to Jesus. But I'll admit, the day has come, it is here, right, that you may lose job, or promotion, or opportunity, or money, or even your freedom for your Christian conviction. Get ready for it. Get ready. We can get negative labels for uh, righteous reasons, good reasons, or unrighteous reasons. But one of the hardest and most necessary reasons that we get a negative label is that we may, you know, when when we're asking fellow Christians to face the consequences of sin, to to call us to the carpet. We need need that. We need it. Jeremiah, as God's messenger, wants what God wants. That's what he wants. He only wants what God wants. The faith and the growth of God's people. What looks like weeding out of sin and refining a community and facing the consequences of sometimes, and in this case, general and corporate sin, right, can feel like seeking ruin. It can sound so negative. I have been blamed, and maybe you're feeling this way right now, but I have been blamed for being negative and judgmental and hurtful for simply preaching what I clearly see is on the page of the Bible and i expect that criticism to increase not decrease in the next decade i recently watched a short youtube video by jordan peterson i don't know if you know who he is but he's a former prof- i think he's former i'm not sure if he's still a professor in can- canada got himself in this hot water when he wouldn't use personal pronouns and stuff and and uh, when it was it was made a legal mandate to do so he just decided he wouldn't do it anymore and He's become like a sort of a cultural phenomenon. He's a really smart guy. But, you know, I watched this video on him concerning Hitler, right? And his point was that maybe Hitler never expected to win the war due to certain choices that he had made. One of which, for instance, is to win a war like that, you'd never exterminate the Jews. You wouldn't exterminate them. You would enslave them, and you would use them as free forced labor for the war effort, but you wouldn't kill them. That's like shooting yourself in the foot. His actions didn't make sense for a guy that's saying he wants to win the war, right? And so Jordan quoted Hume who said that if you can't figure out a person's motivation... Right then look at the outcome and infer motivation from that. So if Hitler just caused mayhem, then maybe his goal was just to cause as much chaos as possible in the world in the shortest amount of time as possible. Maybe, in short, he was just purely evil. Maybe he was absolutely crazy. We are in a spiritual battle. That's what we are in. Satan doesn't expect to win the war. <laughs> right? He's just pure evil, and he wants to create as much chaos as possible in the shortest amount of time in this historical moment. The kingdom of God, we know as Christians, we've heard this preach. the kingdom of God has come, right? Jesus ushered it in, but it's not fully come yet. The scriptures teach that Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God, but that that final, full establishment of the kingdom of God is in the future at some point. We don't really know when. We know what has to happen before it comes in full. So right now, it's like World War II, you know, when, when on D-Day, I don't know if you know about D-Day, but June 6, 1944, the Allies uh, stormed the beach of Normandy. We stormed that beach, right? You can see Saving Private Ryan, that's the, that's the movie about it, right? We the beach of Normandy, and that's the move that actually won the war. The war was won that day. The war continued beyond that a little over a year, but D-Day had broken the back of Germany and its allies. From that time on, especially Hitler, uh, if he had any brain in his head, never expected to win. He just wanted to create as much devastation and death as possible until V-Day, Victory Day, right, was achieved by the U.S. and her allies on September 2nd, 1945. If I have the date correct, I think I do. And that's where we are right now, spiritually. God has won the war. The cross broke the back. Of Satan and his work in this world, and of sin and its work in this world. But Satan is still just doing all the damage he can. But those of us who live in the in between and the you know, of the kingdom here now and not fully come yet uh, in the future, we need to remember that God is victorious. He's won the war. But it will be a hard, bloody battle until V-Day, which will come when a remnant of every people group in the world will be represented before the throne of God, praising Him, as we see in Revelations 5, 7, and 9. Just as Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We've got work to do. This is our spiritual battle. Jeremiah is a reminder to us that faithful deliverance of God's truth will result in difficulty inside the church and outside the church. If you expect church to be easy all the time, give up that. Just sacrifice that expectation at the foot of the cross because it doesn't happen. If a church is good at all, it's going to be tough sometimes, Right? And as his people, we're called to proclaim his glory through his mission to all the people groups of the, of the world. That's our purpose. So will we, like Jeremiah, standing knee-deep in mud in our dark prison, realize that sometimes bad news is for good, or for God's healing, and continue to preach up and out to whoever will listen to us? That's the question. And it might help to remember Paul's words to the Philippians in chapter 1 when he finds it's, when we find it's difficult for us as well. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Amen to Paul. You heard Moses wrote, you know we have two Moses in this church? What church has two people named Moses in it? That's crazy. But, but you heard Ezekiel's call, uh, his similar call to Jeremiah's in the beginning of this service. Uh, that was in chapter 2 and 3 of Ezekiel. But it also helps us to remember another thing that God said to him, which speaks to our deep responsibility of proclaiming truth in the lives of those around us. It says, and this is also in chapter 3, Son of man... I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them a warning from me. When I say to the wicked person, you surely will die. In other words, your sin is going to kill you, right? You surely will die and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life. That wicked person will die for their sin. And will hold you, and and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn that wicked person, and they do not turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they will die for their sin. But you will be saved yourself. There is a responsibility in the Christian walk to embrace God's word and to proclaim God's word, no matter what. There is a responsibility. So let's pray about that as Natalie comes back up. Father, we thank you that you, your words have power and they last and they feed and they save and they guide and they direct and they bring wisdom, they bring discernment, they bring life, they bring all good things. And we ask that you would convict our hearts, you know, wherever we are on this, this sort of spectrum of, of these four different people, you would convince us and convict us of, of what we need to hear in this message. I know that you, uh, Holy Spirit, can speak and 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 define things for each one of us in a unique way. We're all on this different place and different journey and we're, we have different lives, but you speak what we need to hear. So I ask that, that whatever is from this message that needs to fall on each and every person in this room, including myself, would fall on them in a way that roots in and has lasting change. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, by the way, if you need prayer, please come on up, grab me, or grab, uh, there might be somebody else standing up here with me, but uh, by all means, come on up and we will we will pray for you in the prayer room right there. I'm done. Do your thing.